You are now listening to The Nosebleeds with your hosts, Corey Johnson and Kush Parikh. Be sure to check us out weekly on Tuesdays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on social media to stay up to date with the podcast on Twitter at B underscore Nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S Bleeds on Instagram at The Nosebleeds and on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash The Nosebleeds. Face all your fears, drink it at me There's so many donuts on them back streets Sit so high in the nosebleeds Feel like I can fly Yo, what up everybody? Welcome back to the Nosebleeds Podcast. That's K-N-O-W-S Bleeds. It's your boy. You already know it's your boy Kush, and I'm here with my co-host. As always, Mr. Corey Johnson. It's Corey in the house. It's been a minute. How you been, my guy? Oh man, you know, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. Yes, sir. Corey in the house, Corey in the building. Already know what it is time to do. It's time to talk about some sports on this beautiful thing we call the Nosebleeds podcast. I know it's been a minute. I know it's been a while. But we had to keep y'all waiting, had to keep y'all waiting, had to keep y'all stay focused and stay tuned in. I know some of y'all been wondering when the podcast coming back. Hey, we back, we back. Don't worry, don't worry. Here to please all those celebrating the holiday season. But man, man, oh man, it is cold out here in these streets, man. I'm wrapped up in the blanket right now. <laughs> I'm trying to stay as warm as possible because man's man's does not do cold. Man does not do the cold. I'm not a I'm not a cold weather person. Yeah. I mean, I, me personally, I love the cold, uh, but it's been kind of crazy. It's been like hot during the day, colds at night. So it's like it's been real weird, but I'm loving this weather. I'm so glad that this weather is finally back because I'm sick of this heat. I just want cold. <laughs> I just want to be bundled up in my blankets. want to want my little space heater next to me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, hey, but yeah, I'm, I'm loving this cold weather, but it's been a minute. We do want to apologize to our listeners for the little absence, but we're back. And let's talk about sports. Let's get into it. Let's talk. Let's start off with the NFL. We had the Thursday night football game, Cowboys versus Saints. Cowboys won 27 to 17. And the Cowboys defense showed up in a big way, forcing four interceptions, including a pick six, a big man pick six, may I say. And we love to see those. And for the Saints, it was really just Taysom Hill. He got a little banged up in that first quarter. And it kind of was just went downhill after that injury because in that second half, them being down, had to force him to throw, you know, Taysom Hills, Taysom Hills. So you have to force him to throw consistently. It's not going to happen. It's not going to look that well. And then obviously with no Alvin Kamara, it's just going to make things only worse. But what was your thoughts and reactions on this Thursday night football game? Yeah, man. I mean, you hit pretty much nail on the head right there. Uh, Taysom Hill started off pretty much hot. He got the crowd going. He was making play after play, doing what he kind of does best. I mean, he had that crazy run that he went on, hurdling a dude over here. I thought he was about to do an Antonio Brown a la back to the Steelers days. But, you know, he kept it safe. He kept it safe. But, man, whew, uh, there was only so much that the Saints were going to be able to do. No Alvin Kamara. Uh, and realistically, you knew that Sean Payton was going to have to pretty much hope that the defense was able to give him some sort of a miracle. But the Cowboys, I think the story is the story here. They uh, didn't really have the best of games, but they're Mm -hmm. also dealing with their own injury issues. They're also, you know, they didn't have their head coach this game, Mark McCarthy, which, you know, some might say, you know, some being (laughs) Mr. uh, Skip Bayless might say that that was a blessing in disguise. 
But they had Dan Quinn uh, as the interim head coach for this game. Then took a lead. And did he not? He did not. He did not. And I think he saw a lot of uh, good things from the Cowboys perspective here, um, especially from their main guy uh, and Dak Prescott, but also Tony Pollard has legitimately maybe shown that he could be a one-two punch alongside Ezekiel Elliott as far as the run game. Cause that run he broke out. I mean, we've been seeing Tony Pollard break off runs here and there, but Man, when he got out into that open field, he was he was reminding me of Zeke when he first bursted onto the scene. I was like, man, dude, they got another, almost another duplicate uh, Zeke Elliott on their scene. So the fact that they got a one-two punch in both Zeke, who also really wasn't uh, 100% healthy either, uh, I think is a great sight for the Cowboys offense. You know, they were kind of shaky in that first half, but I think the big turning point was once the, the Cowboys got that touchdown from uh, from Pollard, and pretty much they'd never look back from there. And things, like he said, went downhill <laughs> for Taysom Hill. No pun intended at all. But uh, ultimately, I think that, you know, you can't fault the Saints' effort. They gave it their all. I think they just came up against a better team with more talent. And the Cowboys, I think, if they start to get healthy, man, and things start kind of turning into the right direction, they string a couple wins together to close up the season, we might be looking at a dark horse to try and uh, contend not only – for uh potentially the in the nfc as far as you know competing with some of the juggernauts uh, like the rams the buccaneers but we might be talking about this team being a dark horse to get to the super bowl i'm not saying they will but i'm saying i think that they are a dark horse in, in my opinion i think that they're a team that when they need everything to go perfectly right in order for it to happen obviously which rarely, rarely ever happens. But I think if the Cowboys get healthy, if they get everybody going, we see what this defense looks like. Michael Parsons, the guy who we both said was going to be defensive rookie of the year. He's looking like he might even be defensive player of the year. He's been that box office for the Dallas Cowboys. And so if the defense continues to make strides and continues to frustrate teams like they have been in the previous weeks, I think if they just don't play from behind them being the Cowboys, this team has all the offensive weapons to be able to go toe to toe with any of the teams in the NFC. And I think they really can put a full performance together. They're a scary sight. And I think that they should be a team that everybody pencils in. The only thing that kind of concerns me is the coaching and whether or not they can get consistent play um, on the offense and get consistency and a consistent flow, because we've seen time and time out, like when they're clicking, they're a scary team to come up against. When Dak's got it going, he can fling that ball and find the open man. But when they're not clicking, you can tell. And it's clearly obvious. So Cowboys, I think they're a dark horse to get to that Super Bowl, man, in my opinion. Yeah, you saw them not clicking, losing their last three or four. So this win will definitely push them in the right direction, especially getting extra rest from having the Thursday night game this week, uh, moving on to Sunday, playing Washington next week. So that will definitely be beneficial for them. But let's move on to week 13 and some of the news around the league. First of all, let's talk about Jonathan Taylor and Cooper Cup because it's been a month and you thought these guys would have cooled down throughout the season. But no, these guys are having offensive player of the year campaigns and shoot. Maybe you can even say MVP campaigns, possibly. 
But you look at Jonathan Taylor, he's looking like he's back at Wisconsin going off this season. Leads the league in rushing yards with 1,205, with five games remaining, almost 300 more rush yards in the next active leader. Leads the NFL in rushing touchdowns with 14 and add two more receiving to that. He's averaging well over 120 yards per game this season. And he's kind of been the bell cow and the catalyst for this Colts team that's trying to catch the Titans for the division lead. And the Titans, a very banged up team, it's looking a little more and more possible especially after that win the Colts had against the Bills it was awfully interesting to see how that plays out in the AFC South and then you got Cooper Cup on the other hand similarly having an amazing season and the Rams look uh, to be poised for a playoff position despite the recent struggles but he leads the league in receiving yards with 1,237 and receiving touchdowns with 10 averaging a little over 110 yards per game going absolutely off and he's been the catalyst for this Rams passing game, and he's built a great rapport with the Rams quarterback, uh, Matthew Stafford. So, Corey, do you see any of these players winning Offensive Player of the Year or even MVP maybe this season? I think they, I think they're both right now. If you check the betting, they're both uh, co-favorites to get Offensive Player of the Year. But MVP, I think it's probably going to be a stretch for either one of them because. Right now, I think Tom Brady uh, and uh, a few other quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers uh, are also high up in the mix of MVP candidates. And I think it's going to be tough for them to try and uh, eclipse either one of those guys. So I think that their best shot to win any sort of silverware as far as individually is Offensive Player of the Year. I think I would more so maybe lean towards Cooper Cup because you just look at how many weapons the Rams have at their disposal on the offensive end. And the fact that this guy, the guy that pretty much has been there when the Rams weren't good and has kind of been there even now when the Rams are, you know, have turned into such a juggernaut of a team in the past, you know, two or a couple, three years or so. So I think that the fact that he can, he constantly seems to always, you know, be in the right place at the right time. And he's always, uh, finding you know just ways to be productive week in and week out constantly throughout the season no matter how you know the team as a whole has been performing we can always count on Cooper Cup who seems to just you know know his role and he's playing it to a T so I think that if anybody has a shot of uh, getting that offensive player of the year I think it would probably be more so Cooper Cup now I would probably, you know, with Jonathan Taylor, this has been a, a, a huge year for him. Let's not even, you know, discount that because I, but I think also it has to do with the fact that, you know, Derrick Henry obviously went down with his injury because if Derrick Henry would, I think would have stayed healthy, then I think that, you know, um, his numbers would have still been tremendous and probably would have been the sim- similar sort of uh, numbers we saw for him uh, last year, maybe even. Uh, oh, he's, he, he's still second in rush yeah, yards. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Last, that's like, what I'm saying. Three he still, games. He still could have, like, you know, <laughs> been on track to, you know, uh, still lead the lead in, in rushing had he stayed healthy. So, I mean, kudos to Jonathan Taylor, though. I think, like he's, uh, like you said, looking like he's back at Wisconsin. Uh, I think uh, his progression has really gone straight upward compared to last season. And I think he is a big time reason why the Colts, like you said, are in that mix to still be trying to chip at the Titans lead over there in the uh, AFC South. So I think it, I ultimately I'm going to ride with Cooper Cup. I mean, you guys could call me biased, you know, L.A. native over here. But I think that Cooper Cup's got the better, better chance 
of getting it just because of what he's done the entire season. I think that Jonathan Taylor, you know, he's had a great season as well, but I think I more so would lean towards Cup just because of, you know, all the star power that's around that Rams team. He's really the guy that's been the most consistent piece on that offense. Yeah, I think you're going to see one of these guys for sure when offensive player of the year, given the stellar season that they had so far. But I'm going to go the opposite way. I'm going to say it's Jonathan Taylor so far, just what he's done for this team, because you saw Robert Woods as soon as Robert Woods went down. And this is not a knock against Cooper Cup because he's having an amazing season. But when Robert Woods went down, you saw how important to the offense he was. And the Rams are really struggling right now without him. And teams are having a double you know uh cooper cup and they're still waiting for obj to kind of step up and kind of take over robert wood's role that they lost but in terms of mvp i doubt either of these guys will win mvp because i just feel like the mvp award is so quarterback driven in the Mm. nfl like i wouldn't even be surprised like let's just say the rams went out and cooper cup still on pace having this amazing season I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Stafford wins it over Cooper Cup just because there's a big narrative that plays a role in MVP votes, unfortunately. And it being Matthew Stafford's first year with the Rams, you know, him putting up the numbers that he's putting this year. So uh, that's why I think. Plus, I don't think he's ever won an MVP award either. So, I mean, this would be exactly good for him, too. Exactly. But I do want to just say I, I was looking up my old tweets. April 27th, 2017, and April 28th, 2017, I tweeted as a Ravens fan. I said, if we cannot get Corey Davis in the first round, get Derek Barnett in the first, and get Cooper Cup in the second round. <laughs> and then day two, when, when it was our turn to pick in the second round, please pick up Juju Smith-Schuster or Cooper Cup if, in the next round if they are available. <laughs> Cooper Cup slipped to the third round, and the Ravens did not get him. Dang. So, Ravens, look at me for front office. Uh, job you know what i'm saying because you could add cooper cup if you listen to me but yeah i think these guys are both having stellar seasons and one of them is gonna walk away with the offense player of the year in my opinion moving on let's stick in the nfc west and let's talk about the seahawks i thought they would be the worst team in the nfc west but i still had them making the playoffs just because of how good that division is but here. they've been struggling and they have not been looking good at all currently sitting at three and eight and they are going to play the Niners, Texans, Rams, Bears, Lions, and Cardinals. So, I mean, there's a very slight possibility, but there's a sliver of hope that they went out, but they'd have to play absolutely immaculate football. And, and they've they have lost, not been doing that. Exactly. And they've lost the last six of their seven games, and their offense has looked atrocious. They lost Chris Carson for the season and seemingly have no run offense to set up the play action or anything like that. They brought in Adrian Peterson onto the practice squad, hoping to elevate him to play. But we kind of saw a state in Tennessee. Didn't look like a viable running back anymore. Not saying he's bad, but he just he don't got the juice anymore. But looking at the Seahawks and their slump that they're in right now, do you think that they still have a chance to make the playoffs? I mean, I'm never going to ever doubt what Russell Wilson is capable of. I mean, the man who was able to, you know, back Sierra. So, I mean, like, you know, I'm never going to be able to doubt whatever Russell Wilson is capable of. This dude constantly is always going to keep Seattle in the mix off his name just alone. So, you know, I know he's been banged up this season. Uh, That didn't help at all. But the fact that I think that Seattle is going to be in a weird state if they don't make the playoffs, though, because they are going to have to look at their entire roster and kind of examine 
the fact that they're pretty much giving a little bit over their cap is going to both Jamal Adams and Russell Wilson. So when you're committing that much money to two players, one is viable, but his contract is up in 2024. And then the other one, let's face it, realistically, it's looking like the Jets might have might have gotten the better end of that trade. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But uh, to be honest, though, I think Seattle, when you look at this roster and this team that had championship ambitions and had Super Bowl ambitions, and I think if they would have stayed healthy, obviously things would have been better for them. But I think next year, if they're in the same predicament, uh, and, and we're we're heading, you know, a little bit closer to the trade, and we're near the trade deadline. I would not be shocked if they tried to flip Russell Wilson, or they tried to like get on the phones and ask teams if they're willing. Who to says take they Russell wait till Wilson. the trade deadline? Maybe they maybe they do it in this offseason because if you look, there was at this, rumors last year. Because if you, I think it was more so, Russ was trying to put that energy out there, and I think his camp was trying to put that out there to maybe force the Seahawks to be like okay, we don't want to lose out on our franchise QB. and we Because we already know when you lose out on your franchise QB, you go in this unfamiliar territory where, you know, does anybody know the the last time the Seahawks had a legitimate quarterback before Russell Wilson? I mean, I mean, hey, Hasselback was pretty Hasselbeck. cool. But I mean, yeah, Hasselback was pretty cool. But outside of that, I can't name you one, one Seattle Seahawks quarterback outside of that. But uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a unfam- that's a territory that the Seahawks have not had to worry about in a long, long time, and they would have to you know try to figure that out immediately. I think you could argue that Miami would probably be you know a team that you can maybe look at with the whole Tua situation. At least you would get you know a young quarterback, you know, back on your end. Or if you don't feel like Tua is your guy, maybe you could uh, try to see with a different team or something like that. I think that Seattle realistically this off season is going to have to look at themselves in the mirror and wonder, can we afford to try to roll the ball back out there with this team with committing this much money and with this much of a cap hit, can we legitimately compete in such a stacked NFC with the likes of, you know, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers and then the Rams as well. And you look at that, and you look at the Cardinals in the mix as well. Packers. So Packers, you know, depending on what happens, obviously, you know, with A-Rod, but, you know, everything seems like it's smooth sailing right now. But to be honest, it's just a weird scenario, a weird situation that the Seattle Seahawks find themselves in. And I think that, like you said, if they miss the playoffs this year, this is going to be a big look at yourself in the mirror time. And honestly, I think the number one situation that they're going to have to look at is maybe freeing up some cap space. And I doubt they flip Jamal Adams because of how bad their defense would be if they just immediately you know, flip Jamal Adams. And I'm not saying Russ is a bad quarterback at all. I'm not. But I'm just saying the dude is <laughs> he's over 30 and he's only got you know a couple years left on the contract and he's already shown sign that he wants to leave. So it's not like you would be, you know, sending off a guy who has never had any sort of signs that he wants to get out of uh, Seattle. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. But Seattle is going to have an interesting offseason for sure. Absolutely. I think in terms of this season, I think they're done. Only chance of them having playoff hopes is if 
they win out. Texans, Bears, Lions are all winnable games. But then they have the three division games when it comes to the Niners, the Rams, and the Cardinals, which will be very, very tough. So realistically, I don't see them making the playoffs this year, which is going to be huge. And coming this offseason, like you mentioned, all eyes are going to be on Russell Wilson, especially after last year. He has a no trade clause, so he kind of decides where he wants to go. And you look at what they did this past offseason. They just paid Tyler Lockett four years. I think it was $69 million or something like that. So Mm -hmm. about $17 to $18 a year, which is a lot of money for a wide receiver. Traded multiple first-round picks for Jamal Adams. So they kind of went in that all-in mode, but it's not really panning out so far. And Russell Wilson isn't playing well since he came back from his injury. But this always, always happens to Russell Wilson. And this is why a little fantasy perspective, but I never draft Russell Wilson. (laughs) <laughs> because he will ball out and it would be like, oh, he's going to have an MVP year this year. And then all of a sudden, second half of the season, he just kind of just drops off like crazy. And it's I mean, it is also Russell Wilson, but it's not entirely on him because this play calling from the coaching staff has not been good whatsoever. So I think before they look to blow up the team, I think they'll look at the coaching staff for uh, staff first. And um, I mean, maybe Pete Carroll's on the hot seat right now, but it, it'll be interesting to see this offseason for Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. But in terms of this season, I think, I think they're done. I think everybody, honestly, as far as the entire Seattle organization from GM down is on the hot seat, to be honest with you. Yeah. Because you look at their past few drafts, you look at the past few big moves that they made as far as trades really have not panned out. If we're looking at from a getting closer to being a Super Bowl contender versus not, uh, they, they just haven't panned out compared to what the other juggernaut teams in the NFC have been doing. And especially even within their own division, you could say that, you know, not only record wise are they one of the worst situations to be in right now, but maybe also you look at, at least with the Niners, they have a young quarterback that they can turn to and have hope in and Trey Lance um, Arizona right now is balling and they got a, a nice squad. And then obviously with, you know, the Rams, uh, they're in a good position with all the stars studded power that they have. And they really don't really care about, you know, wasting a draft pick or giving up, you know, any sort of draft capital because they're trying to trying to so desperately win and bring a title to L.A. So I think you look at all the aggressiveness that's happened in this division and Seattle has always been that team that's kind of been very conservative. When we see what conservative kind of gets you, it doesn't really get you closer to winning. It kind of gets you in the basement, and that's exactly where Seattle kind of finds themselves right now. Moving on, we talked about Chris Carson being out, so let's talk about more running backs, and some of these top-paid running backs in the NFL are just banged up. You look at Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry. That's four out of the top five highest-paid running backs in the NFL all injured Christian McCaffrey. He was out most of the season came back and now he's out for the season. Dalvin cook went down with an injury this past week. He's going to be out at least two weeks with a shoulder injury. Alvin Kamara's missed the last two weeks with a knee injury and Derrick Henry. Obviously we all know he is out for the regular season. So, I mean, I have this philosophy and I know a lot of people do as well too, but This is why you don't pay for running backs, in my opinion. I think the running back position is one of the most replaceable positions in the NFL. Some uh, examples, you look at James Robinson, the guy was undrafted or yeah, he was undrafted and he put up 1400 yards last year. Look at Elijah Mitchell this year, a late round pick, uh, 
uh, Raheem Mostert goes down, Jeff Wilson's down, and Elijah Mitchell's tearing it up. Gus Edwards, when he was healthy, when Mark Ingram, when J.K. Dobbins went down, Ramondre Stevenson, and even even Austin Eckler. When Melvin Gordon went down last year, Austin Eckler balled out, and they let Melvin Gordon walk and paid Austin Eckler cheaper than what some of these top running backs are getting. Even Cordero Patterson, a wide receiver, converted to running back is balling out right now. So, I mean, I can keep going on. There's a lot of running backs, but I just feel like it's one of the most replaceable positions in the NFL, and I don't fully understand when teams pay a lot of money to get running backs. I can, under, I can understand why teams would do it just because if you look at the, the top three guys who, or even, even, even if you want to throw in Derek Henry, you can throw in Derek Henry too, but Christian McCaffrey outside of Christian McCaffrey. I mean, there's really no other big name star on when you think of the Carolina Panthers. I mean, yeah, now you can think you can say Cam Newton, but I mean, like Cam's obviously not still like in that MVP status of Cam Newton. He's not even because, a star. That's true. Don't, I don't mean, even like, try to. Say yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a serviceable starting quarterback, but he's not a star. That. I don't even know about that. <laughs> but he said he was back though, so I mean, hey. I think he said <laughs> but, I'm bad. He said I'm bad, not I'm back. <laughs> Dalvin Cook. I mean, Kirk Cousins is an all right quarterback, but at the same time, like. And Justin Jefferson is a is a baller. Don't get me baller. wrong. Like a wide, wide receiver, yes. But Eagle fans man, kicking themselves. Man, Rager over Jefferson, one yo, pick I, ahead of him. I'm sorry. I just gotta rub, no, what the I just heck gotta was rub that? that in. What was that though? What was that? Come on now. But Dalvin Cook, like I feel like he for a long time was pretty much carrying that offense on his shoulders before Justin Jefferson got there. And then look at uh, Alvin Kamara. Yeah, they had Drew Brees. But you don't have Kamara, and all of a sudden you take that running game away, and all the pressure goes on Drew Brees' shoulders, and we saw how that was not panning out. So I understand why teams overpay. I'm not saying that it's a wise decision, or I would do that, or I would you know put stock in doing so, because I just think that we've seen time and time again teams such as the Patriots, such as the Eagles, such as uh, you know multiple teams throughout NFL uh, recent uh, history can win without having such a uh, heavy payload being invested on your running back, who it's such a grit grind position that you take so many types of hits throughout high school, throughout college and in the league, that it's just a dangerous position to be trying to invest such a lot of money in. But when you don't have a whole lot of other offensive weapons and options, you kind of get forced into a situation where it's like, do you let him walk? Do you just let, a, a, you know, a star player like that walk or, you know, and I think teams get kind of afraid to try and, you know, you know, trade away a star player. Cause you don't want to end up in a situation where you give away, you know, a top studded running back and he thrives in, you know, another system where he thrives with another team and he goes on to win a Super Bowl and you look dumb for giving away your most biggest asset piece that was on your roster. So I think this comes down to fear, but I think it also comes down to um, wanting to keep your talent, which I respect. That's the one thing about the NFL that I think I always kind of respect is how much diversity there is across the entire league of talent. And it always comes down to which team is healthiest, which team is playing the best. And, and that's one of the things that ultimately sucks. But as far as the running back position, I think it's a position that is not going to see a whole lot of heavy growth as far as, you know, 
increase on pay raises. I think that their position is always going to, you know, come third, maybe even sometimes fourth fiddle to, to the offensive linemen. I think more offensive linemen are going to get paid more than even the running backs at, at oh, some yeah. point. So I just think that it's going to be a tough scenario for them to come to the negotiating table. And you know you need a, a, a quarterback because that's just duh as far as offense. That's the guy who, you know, is running the show. You know you're going to need somebody for him to throw to, a wide receiver. So you're going to have to <laughs> shove out some money for him. And then you know you're going to need an offensive lineman. And then you could pretty much find a running back, you know, here. off, you know, And it's not to say running backs are just dime a dozen. But it's just to say that, you know, making your guy such a high-paid risk, it's the risk versus the reward thing, and it's a lot heavier on the risk side than it is on the reward majority of the time, as we're seeing here. And we saw last season and the season before that. So you agree with me is what I'm getting at. Yeah, essentially, yeah, I do agree with you. Okay. Well, moving on, let's get into our nosebleeds game of the week. We did miss last week, so that is our apologies. RIP week, <laughs> week 12. But we did have week nine where we left off, and then we had the Texans versus the Dolphins. Uh, all three took the Dolphins, and the Dolphins won. Week 10, we had the Browns versus the Patriots. The listeners and Corey took the Browns. I took the Patriots. Week 11, we had the Cardinals versus the Seahawks. Listeners and Corey took the Seahawks. I took the Cardinals, despite no Kyler Murray, no D-Hop, no J.J. Watt. So didn't matter. Didn't matter. At the top of the standings, we have a new leader, and that is moi. I'm sitting at seven and four. Listeners are five, five, and one. So can't believe you guys tied. And we have Corey at four and seven. So Corey, you got some ground to make up, my man. Yes, sir. And yes, the no. listener, well, you're not. You're still not that far behind the listeners. So you could still make second place. You could make yeah. silver. At this point, but... I'm just not trying to finish dead last. <laughs> <laughs> well. Listeners, do what you got to do to keep them last (laughs) or to try to chase me. But this week's game of the week, week 13, we got the AFC East battle between the Bills and the Patriots. The Bills are two and a half favorites coming into this game. I believe the Patriots are eight and four right now and the Bills are eight and three, I believe, or nine and four. No, eight and three, eight and three. That's what they are. So, yeah, um, the Bills are two and a half favorites coming into this game. Monday Night Football in Buffalo. Who do you have? Man, as much as it's going to be difficult to do this because the new man, the new trademark MJ10, (laughs) Mac Jones has been balling like crazy for the Patriots, man, man, but I'm I'm gonna stick I'm gonna stick with the Bills here. I'm gonna stick with the Bills. I'm gonna pick against the Patriots again. Hopefully, I don't regret it. But I'm going Buffalo here. I think that them being a team that it realizes that it's gut check time, realizes that they need to get there. You know what's into gear. They need to start you know making some moves towards the wing column and store and trying to you know get a get a higher seed because playoff position is going to be key if they're trying to make a run. Uh, to the Super Bowl, and I think Josh Allen's going to get that that team into high order. I think they're going to start to you know start clicking on the offensive end. Stephon Diggs, I love that dude's mentality. He's such a dog at wide receiver, and I think that this team is going to be is going to be an interesting team going down the stretch. I don't you know I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe I think coming into the season we kind of you know we're looking at the Bills to be such a 
a juggernaut of a team because of what they did last year, but they kind of had a really upside. You know, it's just hard to figure out what the Bills are at this point. I mean, they're a good team, don't get me wrong, but I, as far as consistency-wise, they've lost a lot of games that I've been like, what? <laughs> Wait, what? So hopefully they handle business here and they go ahead and take out their, their rivals. I mean, it's not every now and then that you get to come up against uh, Bill Belichick and piss him off and, you know, wax on and wax off. So I think that the Bills are going to go ahead and take business, take care of business and get that W and ultimately get me that W. <laughs> the way I describe the Bills is that they're the most inconsistent contenders this season. That's how I look at them. And you look at the Patriots on the other side, they're looking like they possibly can be contenders this season, even with a rookie quarterback uh, behind center. But I mean, I think- hey, wouldn't it be shocking, right? Rookie <laughs> quarterback for the Patriots, all of a sudden they turn into contenders again, right? Right. But I think the big news coming into this game was Bill's all-pro corner, Tredavious White, is going to be out for the rest of the season with a torn ACL. So that is a big, big mm. loss for that defense, who has been stellar pretty much all season, minus a couple games. But in my opinion, I think what it comes down to is the Bills' offense is too one-dimensional. They don't have a reliable run game unless Josh Allen goes into second-year form and tries to run over people and hurdle people and flip over people. Face them but, <laughs> Yeah, but and I think what it ultimately comes down to is because this is a very close game, and I wouldn't even be surprised if the line comes down to the Bills being one-and-a-half-point favorites or if it changes drastically and even turns into a pick But – I think, in my opinion, the weather is going to be a huge factor. It's supposed to be light showers, high 30s, low 40s with up to 35 mile an hour winds. So for a team in the Bills that rely heavily on their pass game, I think it's going to be tough for them. And for a team like the Patriots, who are very well coached and kind of just run down that offense and wears down that defense and kind of just they, they have a great they have a good quarterback for the system that the Patriots run in making the smart decision, just dink and dump, make the smart passes. Don't make any costly turnovers. And that's why I think with the weather, I'm taking that into factor. I got the Patriots winning. So I'm looking to keep my three game win streak for this, uh, this game of the week going, make looking to make it four. So let's see what happens, but I got the Patriots winning this game. Make sure you guys vote on our social medias. We'll post it up the day before the game. The streak ends here, y'all. The streak <laughs> ends here. The streak ends here, and the we'll comeback see. begins. You know, the, thing, the thing is, is I want you and the listeners to win because I want it to come down to the wire. I oh, want man. it to come down to week 17, That's what week I'm 18. Saying. That's so what I'm saying. It'll be interesting. Oh, that'll be fun. Let's move on to the NBA Big news, big injury news we got was Michael Porter Jr. His third back surgery, he underwent it uh, Wednesday, and it was successful. And this past offseason, he signed a five-year, $172 million deal. And it's even if you looked when he was healthy in the beginning of the season, he had a very rough start to the season. And what many, including myself, thought it would be a breakout year, year for him without Jamal Murray in the beginning of the season and so far they're saying that there's no timetable for his return but he is out indefinitely what are your thoughts on this injury i think that mpj's injury is a big one just because of like his progression and one of the things that deterred a lot of teams from drafting him was the fact that he had uh he was already having issues with his back and with at mizzou and you know, when he was in college, he was definitely having issues as far as that, you know, being uh, being known. But, you know, 
I just hope that the guy, you know, recovers as soon as possible just because of how young and exciting he is as a player and how versatile he can be as far as, you know, being able to handle the ball, being able to shoot from the outside, being able to get into the inside. And he definitely makes defenses have to play honest. And he just gives the Nuggets a whole different dynamic. But him being out and Jamal Murray also being out is going to put so much pressure on Jokic to have to be dang near perfect every single game. So, and it's not to say that there isn't a ton of other guys that can step up and be talented around them. I mean, Aaron Gordon over here dunking all over the magic (laughs) and just having a field day and showing exactly what he's capable of. So uh, they definitely have a squad still, you know, even with all the injuries that they dealt with, it's just that obviously you worry about the future and you worry about uh, later on the season in the playoffs and, you know, going forward throughout this kid's career, is he going to be able to, you know, still be at the level that he was at, you know, in the bubble. And as he started to make his his ascension into NBA prominence, or is he kind of just going to have one of those, you know, unfortunate what if story, you know, a type of careers of like, if he wasn't, you know, injured, you know, like so severely as far as his back, what could have played, what could have, what type of player could we have seen? So hopefully it isn't like that sort of scenario. Hopefully he is going to be able to come back. He's going to be stronger, better than ever. And just be able to get back to what we were seeing from him before he went out with surgery. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's going to be the success of the season is going to be contingent on Aaron Gordon, like you mentioned, but also Jeff Green that they brought in this offseason and Will Barton, who has been who has shown flashes of, uh, you know, picking up the load that Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray normally have. So it's going to be interesting if the Nuggets finish top five, I think, in the Western Conference, I think could possibly see back to back MVPs for Jokic because he's going to have to do everything in his mind to try to help keep this team afloat in the Western Conference. Another big injury we have out in the Eastern Conference is Bam Adebayo. He had surgery on his right thumb for a torn ulnar collateral ligament. He's expected to be out four to six weeks. And their first game without him, they lost to the Cavs by 26 points. Obviously, no Jimmy Butler that game either. But they're currently right now fifth in the Eastern Conference, 13 to 9. How do you think that he will respond without Bam Adebayo? I think it's going to be a tough scenario because he is one of the best defensive players and a defensive anchor for them as well. Um, I think that it also kind of puts a lot more pressure on uh, on a lot of their uh, their other players, such as like Jimmy Butler, PJ Tucker, Kyle Lowry. You know, those guys are going to have to obviously step their games up. But then even the role players, you know, who aren't as you know, the best of defenders are going to have to step their game up just because, you know, Bam is not only a presence, you know, uh, with just his length, but also he's good, a solid rim protector. I mean, very underrated as a rim protector. And uh, I think him not being down there to kind of man the paint is going to be a huge, huge miss. But Eric Spo, you know, is a good head coach. So I don't think this is going to completely derail the Heat season. Um, depending on how long it takes for him to kind of, you know, get back into the string of things and get back into the lineup, we'll see where they're kind of at. But I think worst case scenario, they're in the playing tournaments about round there. So uh, when he gets back and then best case scenario, they hang around four fifth. Yeah, I 
I couldn't agree more. Um, but you look at just Bam, like we talk about his defensive presence all the time, and we're Heat are definitely gonna miss that, like you mentioned. But I think he's very underrated offensively as well, too, just because of how agile he is as a big man. He's able to take other centers and other big men off the dribble, and that creates a lot of offense. And he does have that mid-range that he can kind of stretch the floor uh for that offense. So we look at their team right now. Dwayne Demon and PJ Tucker are expected to have bigger roles. Now with him being out, Jimmy Butler is going to have to carry the offensive load along with Tyler Hero, who's having an amazing season off the bench, and then Kyle Lowry as well, too. And especially when you got Duncan Robinson out here going 0 for 7 and posting Tony Snell type of stats in 20 minutes of play, zeros across the board, they're definitely going to need all the help that they can get from all their role players. But I do expect the Heat to drop off a bit just because Bam is such an important team or piece to this team. And honestly, I could see them going out and possibly getting a better backup center and maybe with, with experience as well, maybe like a Bismack Biombo or Aaron Bain, something like that, you know. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what the Heat do. But, you know, Bad Matabio being out four to six weeks is a tough blow. Moving on, we got the Suns and the Warriors. Their game got flexed to national TV. And guess who got kicked off? The Lakers and the Clippers. Before we get into the Suns and Warriors, it's just crazy to think that the Lakers and the Clippers matchup, the first of the year, might I say as well, is getting kicked off of national television. Like, I get there's no Kawhi Leonard, but damn. Also, let me ask you this, because LeBron James, he went into the COVID protocol, but he had multiple negative ch- tests in 24 hours. So now he is set to play Friday against the Clippers. You think if LeBron never underwent the COVID protocol, they would still flex it? Um, that's a good question. Um, I think if he never went under. No, because they, they flexed it before well, well, he, he well, got cleared. Well, I'll, I'll say this. I think also you have to take into account how well both the Suns and the Warriors have been playing compared to the Lakers and the Clippers. So I think I would have flexed it just because those are the two best teams right now, not only in the West, but also potentially in the league. So I think that that's maybe also could have been a factor too. But then again, it is ESPN, and we know how much ESPN loves LeBron. Exactly. So. <laughs> But I think them just flexing kind of speaks volume to how these two teams are struggling to start the season. The Lakers are sixth in the Western Conference right now, 12 and 11, and the Clippers are seventh, 11 and 11. So, I mean, they're struggling. But like you said, the two best teams in the NBA, you could say, are going to be matching up. They played Tuesday, and the the Suns got the dub on that one. But 18 game win streak that they're on right now a franchise record they want back-to-back games without Devin Booker against the Warriors and then the Pistons and they're going to be without Booker again this Friday so what's your thoughts so far on the Suns this season and this 18 game win streak that they're on I mean I think a lot of people including myself coming into the season thought that the Suns were going to maybe take a little bit a slight step backwards but I thought they were going to have a a slow maybe start out the gate and then they're going to pick things up as they go along just because of how long that season was for them. Uh, uh, You know, this past season when they, you know, made it to the finals surprisingly and no one really saw that coming and nobody really saw them having such a breakout year. I didn't expect them to just go ahead and say, yeah, we're going to continue that. We're going to just go ahead and keep rocking out with that, which kudos to them because 
you know, had they been playing like this, you know, in the playoffs, they could have been lifting that little Ariel O'Brien trophy. Sorry, Suns fans, to remind you about that. But, hey, had to, had to, had to, had to. But, anyway, Phoenix, I think um, Chris Paul, this is continues to be the Monty Williams and Chris Paul effect because you got the coach and the coach on the court working in tandem with one another, and you continue to see the progression of the team, continue to see this team playing as a unit, this team playing just balls to the walls, going all out on both ends of the floor, knocking down shots, playing crazy defense. DeAndre Ayton looks like a man on the mission. Clearly, he's chasing after that bag after getting disrespected. So, I mean, he's got that added motivation, which maybe, you know, got to give a shout out to the Suns front office for maybe not giving him that bag because, you know, keep him motivated, keep him trying to chase after and prove, you know, the doubters and the haters why he deserves to get paid. So, I mean, on, on a one end, as far as, you know, motivational standpoint, that was probably good, but maybe on a, on a business end, it was probably, you know, low-key a dumb move, but we'll see. We'll see. Cause I mean, the Suns have been balling right now, but for me, I personally think that the Warriors start was probably far. I think the most more surprising when you just look at the team on a, on on paper wise because we already know like the Suns they have Chris Paul they have Devin Booker they have DeAndre Ayton and we saw exactly how they were able to get to the finals on the other hand you look at the Warriors and it's been a slow progression into this form of where they were from a year ago but also when you think back just a few seasons ago they were in the finals so I think what everybody is kind of surprised, including myself, is the play of not Steph, but the others. The others being the Andrew Wiggins, the Juan Toscano Andersons, and of course, my most improved player of the year, Jordan Poole. So those guys having such big improvements comes down to the fact that the Warriors had to be bad for a short period of time, had those injuries to deal with when they had Draymond out, when they had Steph out for a period of time, when they had Clay out. These guys are getting more minutes, are getting more development. And yeah, they had to suck. They had to be bad for a little bit short time, a little bit of a while. But you're starting to see a few years later, their draft picks, those, those off-season moves, those off-season acquisitions are all of a sudden starting to pop. And they're starting to look like that 2014-2015 Warriors team that were able to go on a crazy crazy run in a crazy have a crazy season in order to win their first title and god knows how long so i think when you think about it andrew wiggins really to me isn't a replacement for kd he's more of a comparable player to harrison barnes because to me those two guys kind of do similar sort of things and have a similar sort of style it's just that i think that when he wants to i think andrew wiggins can be better just ever so slightly than Harrison Barnes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Let me yeah, let me clarify. <laughs> let me clarify. He's not better than Kevin Durant. He's better than slightly better than Harrison Barnes, in my opinion. Yo, I do not want people running around telling <laughs> people I said that. Come on. No, but nah, I think I nah. think it's obvious. You know, I like to just stir up. No, no, no. I get you. I get you. I get you. I get you. But for me, I think the Suns, this team was my number one projected seed in the Western Conference for good reason. Got to the Western Conference. They uh, finals won it, went to the NBA finals, and they just added more depth this offseason. And you can really see the chemistry benefiting this team with or without Devin Booker. 
this team is clicking on all cylinders and this franchise record win streak is displaying that. And in terms of the Warriors, they are playing team basketball if I've ever seen it. And they have some surprise players that are earning their minutes and helping Curry out. Like you mentioned, Jordan Poole. But then you got to talk about Gary Payton, the second who's looking like his dad, showing flashes of his dad. And then Otto Porter Jr. has shown flashes of his old self. And then you get the news that Clay Thompson and James Wiseman have started their rehab assignment with the Warriors G League affiliate. I think it's the, the Santa Cruz Warriors. But so, so reinforcements are coming for the second seeded Warriors right now. It's scary, scary to see that. But I mean, this team is looking great. You just add those two pieces and they already have chemistry with one another from last season, obviously seasons prior. So it's not like they're adding a star player and it's just going to mess up the whole chemistry of this team because they all played with each other before. So it's scary to see that they have reinforcements coming in two big ones in Clay Thompson and James Wiseman. But looking at the Friday night game, Warriors Suns, Suns won on Tuesday despite the book not playing in the latter part of the game. Who do you have? Oh man, um, I think I'm gonna take the Suns. You're gonna take the Suns? Yeah, I'm gonna take the Suns on that one. Golden State is six and a half point favorites going into the Friday night's game. And I'm going to rock with that. I think the Warriors are going to win. No Devin Booker, even though he wasn't there last time. But I, I still think that the, the Warriors are going to recuperate and they're going to get the dub against the Suns on Friday night. Fair, fair. To wrap up the NBA, we had the Grizzlies beating the Thunder by a NBA record of 73 points with no job Morant. That's right, 73 points without their star player granted the thunder did not have their star player in shea gillis alexander nor did they have josh giddy kendrick williams or Derek favors but that is still not an excuse to get blown <laughs> out by 73 points there's tanking and then there's this whatever this is <laughs> whatever this but is what do, you, what do you think just like goes on through a flight back from memphis to okc after losing by 70 points and then to add the cherry on top the Memphis crowd started chanting defense up 78 points. The audacity, <laughs> audacity of that crowd. But I just I just wanted to shine light on this because technically it is a historical moment in the NBA. Sorry, OKC fans. But yeah, the Grizzlies beat the Thunder by 73 points. I just want to say that in their entire history as a franchise, the Seattle Supersonics never <laughs> lost by 73 points. Just, 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 just want to say that. Just want to say that. Well, hopefully Seattle's getting a team because there's been uh, talks about Seattle getting a team, Las Vegas getting a team, a little NBA expansion. So let's I, see. I, I hope after this, the NBA realizes <laughs> maybe we need to give Seattle another team. Seattle, uh, we got a deal. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, Seattle, we got a deal. Come on now, because it's been too long. We need it the Sonics back up in the NBA. It has. Moving on to the last segment of the show, we got the MLB on December 2nd. The MLB and the MLB Players Association announced a lockout because the owners and the players essentially couldn't come to an agreement on the new CBA agreement. Um, or sorry, new CBA deal. So this is the league's first quote unquote lockout since the 1994, 1995 season. And some of the main reasons for the lockouts are 
the manipulation of player service times, the idea of tanking, salary dumps, and obviously the players wanting more money and the owners not wanting to pay them. So and, and now you got a little petty war going on with the MLB website taking down all players' likeliness to and not using their pictures for their profile. So the players decided to do the same and just put a silhouette for their social media profile pictures. But both sides hope that they can come to an agreement by March in order for the 2022 season to start on schedule. What are your thoughts on this lockout? Correct me if I'm wrong, because I could be wrong here, but I was uh, made aware that I think MLB is actually, they've never had like a, they've always had like a season in play. They never had like a, a full on like season either be canceled or had like a, a, the season always seemed to start on time. Yeah. So even though, you know, this is, you know, a lockout at this point, projections are, that a deal could come in place before the season does get started. And that's and what I'm optimistic I'm, about. And I'm leaning towards that that being the case because I think in the grand scheme of things, we know the owners as far as in any major sports league, but especially in MLB, we know that the, the big thing that they're going to be on about is obviously being able to uh, be in control and being able to not have to cut more of a slice of the pie in the player's favor, but let's face facts. I think that we've seen, especially with the Seattle Mariners, there is clear manipulation of service time and there's clear manipulation of, of, of keeping a lot of these different star young players in AAA in the minor leagues in order to stop them from, you know, being able to get, you know, those big league contracts and get those big league paydays. And you could call it ingenious. You can call it smart uh, front office management. But at the same time, it's still screwing over, you know, a lot of these guys' careers over because it's completely out of my hands if I'm over here raking and, and pulling my weight and doing what I'm supposed to do in the minors. And I'm clearly not a minor league player. I deserve to be in an MLB team, but I'm trapped in my organization's farm system and there's nothing I can do. There's nowhere I can go. So I think that that is something that clearly needs to, you know, have some sort of microscope over it or somebody needs to investigate that or take a look at that. But on the same token, I think that we knew that this has been coming. This has been brewing. This has been building over the past few years. I mean, we've seen year after year, the MLB is trying to say that they're trying to engage, engage more towards a younger audience and say things like let the kids play. And then go right back into the traditional MLB, you know, old, <laughs> old school rules and, you know, things of that nature. So I think MLB, this is a, a coming of age moment because I don't think this is necessarily a similar situation to the 1994-95 uh, uh, circumstances, just because this is a new school of thinking. This is a totally new uh, player, new athlete that they're dealing with. And these guys want to get paid, but they also want to be able to, you know, make money in a sense of and build the sport in a way that's going to progress. And I think that what MLB have done to themselves is handcuffed themselves in a situation where the owners are stuck in a period of time where they're still trying to think like this is 10 years ago, this is 20 years ago, this is 30 years ago, instead of thinking that this is 2021 and beyond thinking towards the future. And I think that's where MLB constantly finds itself in a tough spot is because they keep trying to pay homage and, you know, think about the past, but they struggle to think about the present and more importantly, try to get uh, things going in the future. Yeah. And I think 
just the timing of this entire lockout couldn't have been worse for the MLB because you looked at last season. That was probably one of the more exciting seasons of baseball. You had storylines of the injury played Braves and their Cinderella stories winning a World Series. You had the Astros who were the MLB villains kind of proved that they're still a good team without cheating. And then you had young superstars becoming the face of the league. You had Vlad Guerrero Jr. You had Fernando Tatis Jr. Juan Soto. You had multiple players. You had Bryce Harper back on uh, winning MVP. And then you had one of the greatest seasons of all time in Shohei Otani, who won unanimous MVP. And whether you're a diehard fan or a casual fan, the MLB was great last season. And I'm hoping, I'm very hopeful that the MLB and the MLB Players Association can sort things out and we can pick up where we left off this um, upcoming season. But because a lot of the, everyone basically knew that this lockout was coming, the there was a lot of big free agents on the market and they wanted to get a deal done before this lockout <laughs> hit because they didn't know what the future was going to hold after this lockout, Smart. what the new CBA deal was going to be. So we had some big signings. First of all, the Mets going out and signing Max Scherzer, Starling Marte, Eduardo Escobar, Mark Canna. You have the Angels signing, signing Noah Syndergaard. Kevin Gossman went to the Blue Jays. And then the Rangers signing Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, and John Gray. Mariners signing Robbie Ray. They traded for Adam Frazier as well. Javi Baez and Eduardo Rodriguez went to the Tigers. And then Marcus Stroman went to the Cubs. There's some I'm missing, but those are some of the big names. Uh, that happened or big signings that happened so far so out of the names and the signings and maybe some of the ones that I didn't say what was probably the craziest move or moves so far I mean to me uh the two ones that kind of stand out uh I'll go both AL and NL uh NL I think the Mets and what they've been able to accomplish I mean with all the drama that's circulating with the Mets right now as far as like uh you know, trying to find a, a general manager position and trying to, you know, figure out as far as their crazy cuckoo owner. <laughs> so, but, uh, hey, I think the Mets did well in landing Max Scherzer and getting started on tech. I mean, when you talk about losing out on Noah Syndergaard, they said, no problem. We'll get Max Scherzer. <laughs> we'll go ahead and get Max Scherzer. So I think that's, a, that's pretty good on paper, if you ask me, when you talk about, you know, losing a top pitcher and being able to gain back a top pitcher. And then in the A in the AL in the American League, I think I, that the Rangers, who saw the Rangers all of a sudden making moves, especially when the likes of Corey Seager is on the market. I did not see that one coming. I think that was the biggest shocker to me. And I think that was a big shocker for a lot of Dodger fans, maybe potentially, not sure, but a lot of them seemed like they were shocked that Corey Seager uh was it has now ended up on the rangers and the amount of money that the rangers shelved out for him i'm like whoa go ahead Corey. shout out to Corey seager man he's over here getting paid it's Corey in the house yes sir all day every day no nah, but seriously texas is giving that man the money and then also getting a guy like marcus Simeon. i mean very underrated very underrated indeed but a big 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 signing right there and rangers man not saying that they're gonna you know be a big deal but i mean they 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 they're always that team that you know sneaks up on you if you don't look if you don't pay attention to those standings they can be in that mix for that aos yeah i mean you hit the nail on the head mets absolutely insane losing Syndergaard and stroman but then they bring in max scherzer who just decides not to age and if he ages it's like fine wine 
And then their infield is now loaded. You look at Lindor that they got last season. Now you add Eduardo Escobar and move Jeff McNeil to second base. You have Starling Marte out there in, in the outfields and Mark Kenna as well, too, which I think was an underrating signing for them. And then you look at the Rangers, like you, you hit the nail on the head, didn't expect this to happen. And them basically loading up their middle infield, putting half a billion dollars in 24 hours in just those two players and <laughs> rightfully so Corey Seager's 10 years 325 million dollar deal and then Simeon's seven years 175 million dollar deal so Rangers in my opinion still need a lot a lot of work they got John Gray as well too which is a big pitching addition but they need a lot of pitching help and uh need a lot of bats as well too even though they got these two guys but I think once this uh, lockout is over, they're not going to be done. I think they're going to get a lot because there's still a lot of mid tier and mid like to top tier free agents that are still available on the market. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But in terms of me being an Angels fan, it really, really sucked to see the Rangers make that because <laughs> that just made our division that much tougher. And yeah, I mean, the AOS is already competitive as is. So it, it's going to be interesting to see this MLB season if there is even going to be an MLB season this upcoming year. Quick, before we go, when do you think that they will eventually come to an agreement? Do you think it'll be March? Do you think it'll be just before March, February? Well, seeing how the whole COVID season went and how stingy mm. both sides were, I think it the, the season's definitely going to get pushed back. I don't think it's going to start on time. I think we will have a season for sure. Because mm-hmm. I think they're gonna both have to compensate. Eventually, yeah. I think yeah. both of them yeah. or compromise, I should say. And uh yeah, that's that's just what's gonna happen. I don't think it will start on time. Fingers crossed it does, because after yeah. last season, I want a repeat of that. And yeah, we might have a late spring training. <laughs> yeah. Quote unquote spring training. Yeah. It might be it might be summer training at that point. <laughs> it might be at that point. <laughs> but yeah. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of The Nosebleeds. Make sure you guys check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, shoot us that five-star rating. If you like what you heard, write a review if you're feeling generous. Check us out on social media, on Twitter, at the underscore nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S bleeds. On Instagram, The Nosebleeds. And on Facebook, look up The Nosebleeds Podcast. Corey, any last words? super super duper excited to be able to be back here yet again hope you guys are enjoying the holiday season you guys are wrapping up staying warm staying cool calm and collected and also make sure you guys are getting yourself some you know cocoa staying near a fire watching some (laughs) movies you know just just enjoy yourselves man because i mean the year of 2021 is finally wrapping up nice pretty and dandy make sure you guys if you're trying to be out there hunting for a ps5 please be safe out there don't want to see none of y'all killing each other for no ps5s man but anyway you know this has been the nosebleeds podcast thank you all for listening we'll see y'all in the next one but we out here deuces